I fish because I love to. Because I love the environs where trout are found. Because I suspect that men are going along this way for the last time. And I for one don't want to waste the trip. And finally, not because I regard fishing as being terribly important. But because I suspect that so many of the other concerns of men are equally unimportant. And not nearly so much fun. John D. Volker, also known as Robert Draper. Welcome to Warfare Advancement and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I am your host. I'd like to thank everyone for continuing to listen. It's been a very, very nice couple of weeks since we've added a couple of other feeds. Um, I've gotten over 200 downloads for uh, the month of August, which is by far and away uh, the most I've had for a single month. And it's way more than I expected this early in the podcast's life. I was expecting, you know, I figured if I were lucky, I'd maybe have 200 in a year. But, uh, you know, here we are, and it's it's really grown. So I thank everyone for, for listening, and I hope you continue to do so, and you'll continue to enjoy. But for now, let's go ahead and get on into this week's episode. And we will be finishing up Europe at 10,000 BCE. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and just get started. So, last week we talked about the various material cultures or tool complexes, as they're also sometimes called in Europe, and specifically Central and Western Europe. And um, we also talked about um, their traditional territory and that kind of thing. Now, for the East, I mentioned that we were in the late Epigravedian period. And that they were starting to see other cultures form either in or around their traditional territories. Now these cultures in the East aren't quite as well as, as attested as those ones we discussed last week in the West and the Central European region. But there is one that stands out and that is the Iron Gates Mesolithic. Now the name Iron Gates refers to a region of the Danube River that uh, partly divides uh, Romania and Serbia in the modern day. It also divides the Carpathian and Balkan mountain ranges. The region is an area around 134 kilometers, which is I think about 85 miles, give or take. And this culture began to become distinct around 13,000 BCE, and it's gonna last to about 6,000 BCE. And we have found a large number of unique artifacts from these people, including decorated objects like uh, tools made from stone and bone, antler, and decorations on those. And later in the timeline, there's going to be stone artifacts that are larger and slightly more kind of megalithic, ornamental boulders, altars, sculptures, and things like that. And the major site for this culture is known as Lipinski Vir. And it probably doesn't exist just yet, uh, but within a hundred years or so, it's going to become kind of the epicenter for this culture. Now, this site is a very interesting location for a number of reasons, and I'm definitely going to be coming back into uh, this region and go into a really further detail about it when we return to the area it to this area in the timeline um, I, I'm looking forward to that a lot 
but for now, what you need to know about this culture is that their sites are excellent examples of gradually increasing sedentism in Europe. And this is something I've only briefly mentioned, and I have, I probably should have gone into it a little bit more detail earlier. Uh, but there is a small but steady rise in people living a sedentary lifestyle. And this seems to be done for a combination of three reasons. First, it's done because groups can no longer access a large amount of herd animals or for food and resources, uh, which is an escalating problem due to the mega megafauna dying off at around this time frame. Secondly, it's done by peoples that have had that had access to an abundance of gatherable resources used for tools, fuel, for fire, clothes, medicine, and things like that. Finally, there was always either a bountiful uh, kind of diverse sources of food or a single massive source of food with a few smaller satellite sources that kind of offer a, a bit more diversity to your diet. So as an example of that first type of site, you might be in a central location on a plain by a small pond or stream, lake, river, whatever near several different kind of biospheres around that region. And you would rotate where you would um, gather for seasonal sources of food or material. Uh, you say you might take advantage of a nearby forest in the fall when fruits like apples ripen. And in the spring you would harvest wildflowers like dandelions or nettles or you know whatever from hills and mountainsides. Now there are other things that could be eaten year-round from those places as well, and that is a strength. But living in a place near a number of locales like that drop the amount of migration that needs to happen because you're not having to deplete all of the resources at once. You're giving the environment more time to recover. Now, of course, this diet is supplemented with hunting and fishing, uh, but hunting would be more seasonal and longer journeys following herds would gradually stop. Uh, Lipinski Vera and the surrounding companion sites are an example of one massive source of food surrounded by supplementary sources. The Danube River was the primary source of life to the Iron Gates Mesolithic. Carp, sturgeon, catfish would be caught year-round, while other fish were eaten seasonally. Uh, and of course, other animals were eaten as well, things like aurochs deer, and even dogs, uh, but fish would always be the most eaten meat though. Now there are still plenty more mobile hunter-gatherer bands than sedentary bands, and that will be the case for a very long time. But this increasing sedentism is happening in a number of locales around the world. I mentioned a couple of examples of these sites in Asia, like uh, Gobekli Tepe and Jericho. And I know this is an idea that might sound alien to someone who has only gone through, you know, say a standard uh, primary school education in America, as an example, that's, that's my frame of reference, or someone who's maybe done uh, a non-historical focused education in college. They would probably think the same thing. Typically, history has taught that sedentism starts with our reliance on agriculture. 
But there is more and more evidence that we were already experimenting with sedentism by the time we kind of developed fixed field agriculture. And we're going to go into that a lot more when we start to focus on the episodes um, getting to the kind of 8000 BCE time frame. Uh, now, though, from all the groups in the last two episodes we have talked about, we have evidence of some type of spiritual, ritual, or non-utilitarian artifacts. We have impressive cave paintings in France and Spain showing a, you know, a kind of potential concept of an underworld, uh, and that this is a place of all types of spirits, and uh, with people visiting them to perhaps draw animals and spirits out to summon them. Uh, in the real world. And there are, of course, the various uh, Venus figures of Central and Eastern Europe that bear similarities, some similarities to each other, which could speak of some type of mother goddess that was worshipped. And, of course, these were found at different sites from various groups at different times. It is certainly possible that these artifacts depicted different figures, and it may not have been a specific goddess, but instead just kind of a genetic a generic concept of of a mother goddess figure and perhaps this was some pro yeah it, it's also possible that this could have been some proto figure that played some part in a forgotten myth that eventually became more distinct and defined among various different breakaway groups or maybe it was just like that one theory says and it was just pornographic um now, as for the languages of these groups, we don't have really anything to go on. Um, the languages spoken in Europe today are from later peoples migrating into the region uh, at a later time. The only traces of them that we may have, and this is a may, are place or water names. Uh, toponyms for place, hydronyms for water sources. Uh, and even most of those have been transmitted by other groups with their own kind of takes on pronunciation. So, in you know, take it, take that as you will. So even if if the name is the original name, it's not close to how it was originally pronounced, and you can't reconstruct a language with just a place name, unfortunately. So it's kind of a kind of a moot point at this you know juncture. Um, that being, uh, that being said, there is, in fact, only one language in Europe that may be a descendant of these initial groups. And that language being uh, Euskara, or as more widely known, Basque. And even that isn't a certain thing, and if it, if it is the case, Basque still has many words taken from neighboring tongues as bordered during its history. It does have a fair amount of vocabulary from uh, things like French and Spanish. So take that as you will. Um, just So just be aware that Basque may definitely be a descendant of one of the original European languages, but it is, a, it is not a wholly indigenous language. It definitely has a lot of loans, words and things like that. Now, um... Oh, I should go back and make a point about sedentism. Um, even some of the groups that are practicing some type of sedentism now does not mean that they would be 
remaining sedentary. They may you know, fall back into uh, hunting and gathering and being migratory. Um, that's definitely something that, that could happen, uh, not just in the uh, Iron Gates, um, but you know places in Asia as well. And then, of course, once you go back to migration, that may kind of signal the end of uh, of a tool complex. You know that could kind of change uh, the amount of the, the types of tools you're creating, and that could be contributing to these cultures kind of breaking up and reforming as as different groups. We we don't know. I think, but I think that there's kind of a, this thought in history, education, and that kind of thing that you know. Once you settle down in a single place, you you stop moving. Once uh, once we become quote unquote sedentary, that that's it. That that is now you're on the cultural path to being farmers and city dwellers, and there's not anything you know that's going to change that because that is quote unquote the superior type of lifestyle. Um, we're going to see that that is not the case. Uh, there is many examples of sedentary people even later once agriculture has been firmly established that they revert to the old ways as it were they return uh, to use an internet meme they return to monkey um, just to just to kind of make that connection but again that's something we're going to be focused on here in the future now uh, for kind of the rest of southern Europe uh, things uh, south of Romania and Serbia and the rest of the Balkans. Um, we don't have a whole lot in terms of material culture except for late Epigrammatian. Uh, but, you know, as you know, time goes on, the Epigrammatian kind of, kind of retreats back to its initial homeland in southern Europe, Italy. Um, there is also, of course, the people living on the islands in the Mediterranean. I know we talked about Cyprus kind of as an extension of Asia. However, uh, in the central Mediterranean, you have the islands of um, Sicily, Sardinia, Corsica, and even Malta. Now, there is a little bit of a controversy on timing uh, for these locations. Um... There is definitely evidence of some type of hominid prior to Homo sapiens getting to Europe, um, and very old hominids at that. Um, probably uh, some type of predecessor to the Neanderthals were living there uh, to at least an extent uh, during ice ages in the past. Corsica and Sardinia were connected to each other; they were same landmass, and then. Of course, due to those lower ice levels, the um, our, I'm sorry, yes, the the lower water levels for that time, um, getting to those island or that island, I guess as it would be, at the time from Italy was less of an issue. Um, now, when Homo sapiens arrived, that again, that's when we're getting into the controversy. Um, I think the oldest humans that have been firmly identified as Homo sapien on Sardinia goes back to about 7,000 BC whereas I think there is some debate that there may have been um, there well there have been remains found in Corsica that could be older but they could also be younger there is some debate but there is um, 
obsidian from Sardinia in southern Corsica um, that, you know, shows that, you know, crossing over was probably regular even once the water level had risen. Um, but, again, we're just not sure of the exact dates of human habitation or Homo sapien habitation uh, once, um, once humans get to Europe. Um, but we do have a lot more, uh, you know, future uh, kind of cultures to talk about. Uh, now, Malta, uh, for you, those of you who don't know, is a small couple of islands uh, to the south of Sicily. Uh, and then it's to the uh, east of uh, what is now Tunisia. Um, that is another one that has some prehistoric origins. Um, I think, from what we understand, humans probably don't get there to about 5,000 or so, give or take, BC, BCE. Um, I don't think there's been any evidence that anything has been there prior to that, like, there were no other hominids, as far as I know, uh, that lived there. So that is as yet unoccupied by humans uh, of any variety. Uh, now, Sicily, of course, that little triangle island to the southwest of Italy. Um, there has been evidence of, um, uh, of older hominids there. As far as I'm aware, they're, I think, you know, just standard Neanderthal stuff uh, not in huge numbers as far as I know which could kind of point to possibly you know the Neanderthals not quite liking um, warmer climbs um, at least that's one theory but it's hard to say um, but we know for sure that there have been um, some type of humans living there since at least 8000 BCE um, so before Sardinia, at least from what we found, again, I'm I'm always of the opinion that the oldest thing we found is not the oldest thing there. I'm willing to bet that there are Homo sapiens living on those islands at this point in time, but it's it's probably a very small number. Um, that being said, uh, Sicily is home to uh, their own version of hippos and uh, elephants. So like Cyprus, they kind of have these pygmy versions of um, these African animals. Um, of course, they die out very quickly, especially once humans arrive. Um, this is one I think that it's firmly okay to say humans definitely were the death knell for those, not just the environment. Uh, so that is the Mediterranean Islands. Um, so I, I talked about last time how the Scandinavia is... It's probably not going to be um, um, inhabited again for a couple of hundred years from this point. Um, that also applies to parts of what is now Russia. Um, there's kind of like a little corridor between Central Europe and Northeast. Well, I guess. Well, so if you think about uh, the map today, um, Central Europe being Germany and Poland and then you have like uh, Hungary, um, Belarus, Ukraine, and then kind of um, the southwest of um, Russia. That's probably inhabited. Unfortunately, we don't have too much. At least I couldn't find too much information about specific cultures. Um, but around the Black Sea, I know we've discussed the Epigravedian there. 
And um, as, of course, you get back towards the Asia side of the Urals, um, you're getting to the Caucasus, which definitely has a little bit of an overlap. Um, unfortunately, again, I just couldn't find too many sources on specific uh, characteristics of those cultures. Uh, but they are unique, I think that's fair to say. And they definitely have some influence with the nearby um, steppe peoples of Asia, uh, which is going to become important over the next couple of thousand years. Uh, so that's kind of, um, again, Eastern Europe's a little bit harder to get some solid sources on. Uh, but uh, I do look forward to going back there because it's a very interesting region when we get to uh, the domestication of the horse and to uh, learning about the, the predecessors of modern Europeans and their languages. So I uh, do look forward to that. Um, but I think that's probably a good stopping point. This has been a shorter episode this week. Um, there's just not quite as much to go on, sadly, as the other bit of Europe. But, um, yeah, I think this is a good place to stop. I think that's good coverage for Europe at 10,000 BCE. Um, next week we will be back to, um, I'm going to continue on. We're going to do the Americas. There's actually not a whole lot to really talk about that's firm. I'm going to get into some kind of uh, supposition and questioning kind of what we know and how we know it. Um, I'm going to kind of go over some revision uh, that has happened because uh, we'll be discussing uh, what's known as the Clovis culture and how you know they had been considered to be the first uh, humans in North America, but how they're also now probably not considering we've got a lot more sources and um, excavations going on. But unfortunately, there's not going to be too much I can get into uh, to get really get into the specifics. But there is, um, we are going to be talking about maybe Homo sapiens were not the first hominids to get into uh, the Americas. Um, there's been a little discovery uh, for of something called the Cerruti Mammoth, and I'm going to kind of go over some of that. And uh, we're going to have a little bit of a uh, kind of some guesswork going on uh, to kind of supplement the very short episode that would be uh, the Americas at 10,000 BC. So we're going to go over some, some firm stuff, but we're also going to theorize a little bit as well. So I hope you look forward to that. Uh, so that will be this upcoming weekend. Uh, and then after that, we're going to kind of go over some developments in technology or at least um, we're going to go over domestication of both some animals uh, and then so just to kind of maybe going over some possibilities for some crops. I might need to wait a little bit on that episode. We'll have to see but um, I just want to go over some animals that we're dealing with at this time since the megafauna have died off and then we're going to jump to about 8000 BCE. Uh, and we'll kind of go back along uh, kind of how we have done up to this point for, I guess, what you would consider season three um, of the podcast. And um, it'll be another it'll be another uh, couple of groups. Uh, there's more information to go on for a few more of these regions. Um, and we'll check back in with some of the peoples we've talked about. So... Jump forward about 2,000 years, and there, there are some bigger things 
that are happening between those times that, again, it's just going to have like a, a filler episode or two. So we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. And yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Um, if you have any feedback, please feel free to get to me at waradrevpod at gmail.com or you can direct message me on the podcast's Twitter feed if you have Twitter. Uh, but yeah, have a great rest of your day. Goodbye.